Hi, my name is Kareem Samara. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO at Instaride. Uh, I've been living in Toronto since 2001. I am a, not a fan of the cold at all, have not gone used to it and never will. Uh, I like to run to the sun at every moment I get. And I'm passionate about solving large-scale issues, especially related to transportation, because being stuck in a traffic jam is really the only time and space I would not consider myself a good human being. Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Thanks for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. No problem. Um, so, 2001, you came to Toronto? Moved to Toronto in to September of 2001, yes. Yeah. Where uh, we're from? Uh, Muscat, Oman. So, okay. that's a country in the m- Middle East about neighboring the United Arab Emirates. Okay. In the Gulf? In the Gulf, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, it was there for six years before and then... Um, was born in Pakistan. Okay. Uh, lived there for eight years of uh, my life. Yeah. And then we moved. Born in Pakistan. Karachi. Okay. Capital. From the south. Yeah. 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 Um, well, not the capital, Islamabad. The Islamabad capital, is. I'm sorry. Where yes. the where the textile capital or the or the capital of industry in in Pakistan, uh, one of those 25 million mega metropolises, and every day you wonder how traffic works. I think that's, that's where the, the passion was born of like, <laughs> how do people actually move around, you know? Because yeah. you're, you're actually sitting there going, there's no way you're making it anywhere for the next three days. But <laughs> but, three days. but two hours later, you, you finally you're, make you're it. There. Yeah, 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 you're there. You're, you're there. like, I'm pretty sure I saw that guy walking past, you know, <laughs> 15 minutes earlier. Uh, I remember yeah. taking rickshaws in, in Karachi uh, and Islamabad and like animal, you're, you're sharing the road with everybody, mm-hmm. you know? And there's, and there's no, no one knows what's going on, but at no. the same time, everybody kind of knows what's going on. They've, they've figured it yeah. out, you know? Um, Oman, what were, was, was that school or? Uh, no, uh, we left Pakistan well, a little bit because of political issues. Okay. Um, and... Then we moved to Oman because there was a business opportunity for my father. Okay. And so he set up shop in Muscat. He's a, what you call an entrepreneur, industrialist, set up a a, a factory. Ah. Did um, sewing thread. You know, the thread you used to make yeah, clothes yeah, yeah. and stuff. So okay. that's what was there. And so we all were living in Oman for six years. Yeah. yeah. A great place. Absolutely amazing place to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, third, you know, you're you're there as a, as, as somebody with, 80 other nationalities in the school so you get, get to meet people from all over the people place from all over yeah and it, it was it was a fun experience now i know why you don't like the cold absolutely oh you know over there it was funny because you had summers of 50 degrees celsius mm-hmm. and people would be like you'd like the cold so much more and i'd never seen snow i'd never seen snow until i came to canada in 2000 yeah when we were like is this a cool place to migrate to and no one had mentioned anything about the snow it's, uh you know for one two days it's very cute and pretty yeah but it doesn't sink in that it can last for like Six 94 months. days <laughs> of a year consecutively um, so that's that's a very different feeling yeah and and so 
I guess Canada was uh, was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, <laughs> um, uh, you know, a cold surprise in, in some ways. You came with your parents, like the whole family. Yes, came? the whole family moved here in two thousand and one. Okay. Yeah, a place that we'd never been to before two thousand. Oh wow! So it's like we're moving here. Let's yeah. go check it out. Let's go. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a very. Uh, but over there, you know, you're moving from the Middle East. You're turning teenager. You're coming to North America. You're like, yay! Yeah. Freedom, fast food, and a whole <laughs> bunch of other things that I didn't know how yes. existed yes. until uh, you arrive uh, yeah. in the promised land. Uh, I hear uh, you. And so, yeah, it was definitely a fun experience, uh, uh, you know, sh shifting halfway across the world. Your dad set up shop here as well? or Yeah, my dad was doing uh, stuff in textiles. Okay. And uh, he set up shop in New Brunswick, actually. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so we were there and then here. Okay. Uh, is in there, New Brunswick, then here, Toronto. Yeah. And uh, and after that, we've uh, been here ever since, really. Wow. Upper Canada College is where you went to school, and you went to you 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 graduated there. Went to Montreal. Yes, I graduated from Upper Canada College you in two thousand and four. You didn't figure out. Let me go to like a warm place for university. That was that you was know, a chance. I, I, I. That's a very good. Very good question. Yeah. And we can come back to that later where I did attempt to escape. Well, I did, did escape, you? but I failed miserably at not at not coming back. Okay. Clearly, that's why we're here right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, so I was at UCC and then McGill, but then I dropped out of McGill. Oh. And I moved. Uh, yeah, I was there for six months. Okay. The, fir the first term. Yeah. Uh, was I there six months? No, I was there f a year the first year. And then after that, I was like, this is way too boring. Yeah. I was doing political science and economics yeah and it was just things that were not interesting sure and so then i decided to take some time off work in pakistan in real estate okay and um, so you went back home so i speak. went back kind of because when i'd left i was nine years old and there were very few people i knew sure and then i lived with my cousin okay who's about 10 years older to me like mm -hmm. a brother yeah um and he kind of reintroduced me to society and and people and it was very fascinating yeah um, going back home in a, in a certain sense right because yeah, yeah. before visiting i had two friends mm -hmm. and because of the way we left everything was very high security like it was almost paranoia when we visited up to a certain point yeah uh, so it, a freedom in, in pakistan is, is is it's nothing like you see on the news really i mean you know uh, or 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 uh, hear about in terms of when people think, oh my God, you're going to Pakistan. Yeah. Uh, so it was a definitely a very fascinating time. And then I spent, I guess, the next three, four years in between Toronto and Pakistan. Mm -hmm. So you didn't graduate from McGill? I, I didn't graduate from McGill, no. Oh, okay. No, okay. I never um, got a degree from there. So what brought you back to oh. Canada? Well, I was in, uh, well, I don't know. Essentially, I guess between 2006 and 2009, 10, I was back and forth between Pakistan and, and mm -hmm. Toronto. Yeah. Uh, equal amounts of time. Yeah. Um, and 2000, actually, yeah, 2009, equal amounts of time. But then when I was there, 2009, the world crashed and we were exporting uh, cement and steel from Pakistan. That was one of the things I was involved with. Oh, wow. So commodity export not commodity trading as in yeah. one of exchange but actual yeah and then the world went to shit right yeah. with the world economic bust and mm -hmm. everything so my partners and i decided to kind of disband at that point 
Yeah. And I had two new rules in life. I'm moving to a continent I hadn't lived in and I'm going to learn a language I didn't speak. Yeah. So I ended up moving to Buenos Aires, Argentina in February of 2010. Yeah. Wow. And my excuse was to go to culinary school. So I got a culinary degree in Buenos Aires. Oh, you did? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So that was... So how long were you there for? I was there for about 15, 14 months. Okay. Um, and you had a choice to do this course in three years is the usual time. Mm -hmm. But they had options three years, two years, one year, uh, nine months, and five months. When I got there in February of 2010, I was like, great, I'll start in March. And I'll do the nine-month version and then, yeah. you know. Um, but it was all in Spanish. Okay. And I thought the six classes I'd taken in high school were enough of a prerequisite <laughs> and to send me up for um, <laughs> taking an entire culinary program yeah. in Spanish. Yeah. Um, so when I got there, uh, I thought maybe that, you know, have some kind of, ink, there'd be something, you know, there has to be something that helps. But so when I went to visit the school in March, um, and they just, you know, I said, hola, and then they just went, hola. And yeah. I, the whole 25-minute tour, I was just thinking in my head, what did I do? this is going to be every day. <laughs> uh, and so then I decided to go for the five-month version, buying me a little bit of time uh, from uh, March to August to really familiarize myself with Buenos Aires nightlife. Okay. And um, making a lot of friends. Yeah. But forcing myself to speak Spanish. Yeah. Uh, literally forcing. But you're immersed yourself you know, in the uh, you, but, country and the culture, right? But you don't really immerse yourself into a country and culture on day one. You no, get no, there, no, and, and then there's al always in these mega cities, there's always a huge group of expatriates sure. or people passing through. Yeah. And you're hanging out with English speakers. Of course. And then at some point you make a choice because I have friends. I have a really good friend. He's been there maybe now. 2011 to now seven years. Yeah. He still s speaks the same Spanish I did when I arrived in Buenos Aires with four classes of Spanish in school. Yeah. You know, he's just stuck in that bubble. Yeah. So I was in that bubble. It's a great bubble to be in. So you, you chose like, <clears throat> I'm not going to hang out with the expats anymore. Essentially, because I had, I had this ticking deadline of school to start. Right. Yeah. So I'm just essentially trying to learn Spanish as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. So I lived with a bunch of, you know, two American girls, an Argentine guy, a French guy, five people in this great five bedroom apartment in, let's say like Lower East Side, Manhattan equivalent in Buenos Aires. And mm -hmm. it was a great time, but there was a lot of English, like mm -hmm. a lot of English. Um, so after two and a half months, I was like, I got to get out. So I basically lived with this well, who became a good friend of mine, studying architect, who spoke English but hated speaking English. He's okay. like, I'm only the only rule of living with me is we're going to speak in Spanish. Yeah, it's like you're my new, <laughs> you know. So I was there, and that really helped. Yeah, um, just being forced day to day stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where it starts, and you just get comfortable, and then just rolls from there. And then culinary school was. A, little, a lot easier. Why culinary school? Why did you choose uh, that? always been passionate about being in the kitchen. Okay. Until I went to culinary school and realized being forced to chop onions and tomatoes X amount of um, X hours per day is not the funnest thing on the planet. Sure. And I don't want to like, you know, climb up the ladder in the 
kitchen world. Yeah. Uh, still love culinary. Will not work in the restaurant side of, of the kitchen side. Mm-hmm. Have great admiration for everybody who works in there. Uh, but it, it it is a passion. Still is. I wonder if at some point do something in it more on the like. Do you like? Uh, I like to have cooking. parties and cook yeah. for friends and if yeah. people are around and I'm not forced. It's not an everyday thing at 12 p.m. I have to do this. Yeah. It's out of oh yeah, let's have a party, let's yeah. get people together. Yeah. Those things I really enjoy. Okay. Um and it was just it was something different. It was it was honestly an excuse to move to Buenos Aires okay. as well, right? Yeah. At the end of the day. You just can't move there for two years and be like, I learned. I would never I'm not one of those persons who would just then end end up learning Spanish. Right? I would be stuck in the expatriate circle speaking english so sure. this was a great way to learn language and uh, made a lot of great friends and i it's still i think my favorite city in the world wow do you have a specialty dish i don't like your personal favorite to make no i i'm a big fan of the farm to table concept of actually using stuff close by yeah and seeing what can be done yeah yeah um I really don't like making pastries or anything that includes that involves decoration. Yeah, that's not fun. Yeah, um, barbecue. Oh, I, I mean, the, the being on the grill with yeah. friends and something. Yeah, is, is something uh, that I enjoy a lot, especially in the summer, not mm-hmm. in the winter. Clearly, uh, and always been a passion. I mean, I remember spending time in the kitchen when I was, you know, nine, ten years old. Mm-hmm. So nice so you finish school there do you leave immediately or I know I f- or did you finish school I should ask that question first yeah you that's did. always a, I did this one I did this one, this one did. I did in five months and yeah. you know uh, made it through yeah but it was it was 10 a.m to 10 p.m Monday to Friday and occasional Saturdays jeez yeah so it was it was like very intense very but it was great for my Spanish because I started <laughs> writing my exams this the the questions were in Spanish. I was writing in English. By the end of it, I was writing in Spanish. Oh, nice! So it was because then your friends are also in Spanish, I and mean, thirty percent of your class is Brazilian. Yeah. So we're speaking this like, it's porteñol mix, and it 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 was a great experience going to a school where literally me plus three out of a class of two hundreds first language was English. Yeah. Right, so you got no to choice. know a whole new world, yeah, and no choice, absolutely no choice. And then I did not leave. No, um, then I moved to a place in Uruguay called uh, Uruguay called Punta del Este, which is the one of the party places of South America, okay. and it was and and that time was the summer. Okay. So it's like Ibiza in the summer almost. Yeah. And a friend and a friend had a nightclub and he needed people to party promote. Okay. So I was like, this is a logical move. <laughs> Let's go live on a beach for a month and promote parties. There you so, go. So um, that was a great experience. Almost died. Um, really? Or as in just the what you put your body through doing oh, okay. this. Okay. I thought maybe there's like a story. <laughs> no, about no. One no, night and morning. No, not one night. I mean, <laughs> there there was a time where you where I was on antibiotics and drinking oh alcohol. Goodness. So yeah. Uh, we had there were definitely some fun nights, but it's a, it's a place that people go out for dinner around 11 p.m. Oh wow! And that's first seating. So there are people who eat at 1 a.m. Mm. Sit down for dinner. Yeah. Right. So your nightclub that you're promoting like is empty at 3 a.m., but it's packed at 4. Okay. And then ends at like 9:30, 10. Wow. And people go for breakfast. <laughs> right. And then you have to be on the beach around 5, 6 p.m. again. Yeah. Doing the same, please come to our party thing. Yeah. So it was it was, it was a lot of fun. Again, got to meet a lot of 
people from yeah. all over the world uh and at the same time it was just hectic very hectic i can imagine yeah so that they did that then came back to buenos aires and then came back to toronto okay. and, and started to get serious is that what it's <laughs> mm. no at that point i think it was still um what was this 2011 yeah so i was here looking into actually opening a restaurant okay um and just going through the some whole, of your culinary skills promoting skills i everything in one kind of yeah uh or it was just it was just the i think i had to live that life cycle of sure wanting to try and do a culinary project and then figuring out all the licensing and all, a lot of things just and i i think after 3 4 months of like okay mm-hmm. i it wasn't it just wasn't feeling right yeah and um so then i was like uh, screw it let me move to london england for a bit okay and i worked in restaurants there okay or a restaurant um and then i uh was it was again going through this culinary phase or maybe it was the city maybe mm. i wanted something uh, london great experience of just working as a dishwasher yeah. and in the kitchen and yeah. you know um really grinding it Mm-hmm. in a in a major city yeah uh and and you have friends who you've grown up with in the middle east who are buying tables at the clubs right and uh, you can't go out with them because you have a saturday night shift and after that you're too tired to do anything but pass out <laughs> um and then you know you're you're making about 100 pounds more a month than your rent uh <laughs> So it's not much you can so do. So it was so there was not much you can do and yeah. the savings took a nice. So then why London? Like why why go there and and, and <sighs> but, slum it out? I London's always been a fascination for me to I've always wanted to live in London and New York before I was 30. Yeah. It was always something on the to-do list. Mm-hmm. Managed to live in London. Okay. Not New York quite yet. Yeah. And now I'm 31, so maybe before 40. <laughs> um London was a uh, I it's just I I really don't know how to explain it other than I wanted to go work in yeah. the culinary world of where Jamie Oliver was where Gordon Ramsay and you know a whole bunch of iconic sure. personalities and culinary people you're like yeah. come on if there's going to be a mess yeah. to be in um <laughs> kind of you know like uh what's his name Oh, Anthony Bourdain wrote about like Kitchen Confidential. I was mm-hmm. imagining like a Kitchen Confidential kind yeah, of yeah. London. Um that didn't quite pan out that way. Sure. Uh and then I came back to Toronto and that's when like the planning for Instaride really started. Oh wow. So b- before we get to Instaride, I I read somewhere that um you were very successful at online poker. Yeah, um I'm that is yeah, it's something that I have always loved okay. is is poker in general. Yeah. I think it's 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 a skill set for anybody in life. Oh. You should always play poker. Okay. Um tell I, us why. <laughs> um many uh, many uh, reasons. Uh one bankroll management. You always have to understand how to use your money and okay. when you're down and up and how and all, also the feeling of losing it all. Yeah. It's a feeling everybody should have. Sounds like that Kenny Rogers song, right? Yeah, you exactly. <laughs> the gambler, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I I feel like it really helps you in 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 planning finances in in, in okay. a lot of ways and helping you run a business especially in the ups and downs. Fair enough. Um then I, I guess stats Mm-hmm. and human psychology i'm talking about the live face to face poker yeah, yeah. i'm not talking about the online that's a whole different sure. you know 
ball game. Yeah. Um, but the face to face, you get to learn how to read people. There's a lot of it's stats mixed with psychology and 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 learning if a person's bullshitting you or not, mm-hmm. and if they are how and. How, just figuring people out on that on that level cuz there's you cards chips yeah and uh for me it's 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 almost like um i compare poker to life in some senses and huh. how i put how my theory goes is your whole cards and this is texas holdem where everybody gets their two whole cards which are unique right yeah. so those are like your genetics and your birth who you've been born to it's yours yeah. right then you get the flop which is three cards mm-hmm. so that's you know the set of circumstances that are thrown at everybody the the first let's say 20 years of your life yeah right and then uh, or 25 years uh and then you can have what's called i guess the turn card uh which would then represent that like 25 to maybe another 15 years hmm. uh followed and that's where a lot of changes happen yes. you know you could be doing some something could be going really great but then uh, or the opposite where you're struggling and then yeah. things really happen for you and then you finally got the river which is you know that end that final play and either you hit it big or yeah. everything you worked for can kind of collapse mm-hmm. uh, and so that's why i feel like a game of poker or poker in itself mm-hmm. teaches you a lot nice so i think you said 2011 uh mm-hmm. you started working on what was to become instaride 2000 and actually 2012 okay. i was um working here with my father okay okay um because i had just moved back and was like what is going to what am i doing right sure. now so let's Let's do this. Yeah, uh, and that's when I had the idea of Instaride or something along those lines. That I guess was born way back in two thousand and six, seven, when I was in New York wearing a suit. I had hair, and it was raining outside. Mm-hmm. And there was technology. There was essentially, I felt like we had enough parts where I should not have to stand outside and hail a taxi. Mm-hmm. It should be easier. Yeah, and then I'd. seen these and then the movement came with technology connecting people even more and also seeing how the taxi industry at that part worked as a monopoly and how you could make things more efficient but how also using technology in general connecting things could lead to a lot of transportation a lot of solutions for large scale transportational issues right mm-hmm. and i think gradually over time figuring out how um this could all come together was then seen in I saw one of it wasn't it wasn't Uber it was uh, there was something there were a couple of these things before I mean Uber Lyft in essentially was ride hailing or ride sharing as you want to call it before they Uber was There was a company was, here Halo Halo was only taxis Halo was only taxis I'm talking 2000 yeah. and uh I don't know 10 there were maybe some things out there of these markets but mm-hmm. really saw it you know come together when uh, i guess lift came in in um, LA and it was a donation how they started and i was like this is this is it it wasn't a payment it was a donation i was like this okay. is this is the birth of 
everything changing around us. This mm. was even before, because remember, Uber started Uber X after they saw Lyft and Sidecar. Mm. Sidecar, a company that went under, yeah. where the drivers used to set the price. You used to be negotiating with drivers. Uh-huh. And um, so that, I, and I was just like, wow, this is, this is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need it in Toronto. Yeah. And and this has to happen. So, and and then I also started thinking, well, if you're doing this, then you can start really connecting people, collecting data. I, I didn't know what we would do or what the or what solutions mm-hmm. would come out of it, but it was like this is a this is something that could be huge. And I guess that was when the birth really started. Uh, the idea started thinking, and yeah. um, end of 2013 is when I was like, yes, let's do this. Yeah. Um- as you were getting it started, did it ever occur to you or were you ever thinking, do we need, you know, is is there room, you know, you know, Lyft and Uber have raised so much. Um, there's sort of that brand recognition for them. Um, did you think, is there room for another app or another company I, I, in, I, in the markets, in the market space? I, firstly, for, uh, yes, I do. Okay. Uh, in the sense that I feel transportation is something so fundamental, like food where it's like is three is two grocery store chains in a city enough there's always in 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 major cities and for us it's not just about this ride hailing this is just the start of solving a lot of large scale transportational issues specific to toronto ontario and then nationwide as well mm-hmm. uh and this for us is just a starting point um that we now it wasn't planned to really go full scale because we had issues there was issues in previous deals of, of funding just issues in general everything that can go wrong does go wrong i feel yeah. like it's a test yeah and so we were here we did three months of you know a, a, a semi-launch test in for three months in uh l- basically first three months of 2016 um and if we had continued from then i think it would be a very different story today mm-hmm. uh it's just that we you know um life events happen and the plan kind of changes with the events that happen, but at the same point, no one's really done what we're still thinking of and have and have been thinking of doing. So for us, this is this is just a very this is just the beginning. Mm-hmm. And and to keep in mind, ride sharing or this whole concept is only five six years old. Yeah, it, it it's developing very fast. Mm-hmm. And um, for us, it's not about just moving people from point A to B. What is it about? It's about, firstly, really, really trying hard to not get people stuck in traffic jams and get the whole world moving in terms of things that are moving literally on the ocean, on the road, trucks. Um, more working as a, as a, as a, as a group of, of data and making things more efficient for everybody. Mm-hmm. For certain times for certain things to be transported, certain things being connected with certain things for, you know, um, so for us, it, it's 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 a much larger picture about true transport connectivity. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever, if we ever get to what we think or what we see, who knows? But yeah. it, it's definitely worth trying. Interesting. Um, 
I guess one of the unintended consequences, and, and some of this has come up recently in Toronto in terms of discussion around, as you know, we're here on King Street and we've got this uh, King Street car project running and uh, there's a, a large vocal group that, that really doesn't like it. Um, you know, these guys that own a few restaurants down on the strip near the um, near the theaters uh, are, are doing things. Um, but regardless, one of the unintended consequences is this idea that instead of people going into mass transit options, um, they're going into this sort of you know single driver, single rider. Um, and I know there's opportunities to have maybe a, a couple of other people in the car, but really there's there's now more cars on the road as a result of companies like InstaRide, Uber and Lyft and such. Um, your your thoughts on that? You know, in terms of helping to wa wanting to transport people more efficiently and effectively, uh, but at the same time, as a result of that, there are more cars on the road rather than less cars. I don't know if that makes no, sense. No, that that does make sense because yeah. if you even look at downtown, I'm sure if you there are stats show, and I'm not, I I don't think we come from the same school of thought as some of the other ride sharing companies, especially the bigger ones. Okay. Um, the studies without a doubt show that ride hailing or what the one man, one driver scenario has yeah. definitely increased traffic on the road. Yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Right. Um, I also feel that the the speed at which this industry is moving, and I'm just speaking about ride hailing, not transportation as a sure. thing, as, as, a, as a whole, there's never been an industry like it. And the growth of the companies within that world have never existed before mm -hmm. at that kind of speed. Yeah. So I think... It, the transitions are moving. A day at InstaRide for us is funny. Some people joke, uh, you know, it's like three weeks at a different company because of the amount of things we're working on and, and what happens within a sudden, uh, a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So I think having more cars on the road right now is a, is a transitional phase. Okay. I think that um, with more solutions that come out, that will continue to to evolve. Mm -hmm. Um and at the same point, I think there really has to be communication between large-scale mass transit uh, uh, companies and technology companies um, in order to how to facilitate making things better together. Yeah. Because I feel like mass transit companies get very defensive. Oh, you're cutting into the pie. This is people would be using transit or whatever. But that's the whole beauty of competition. Yeah. If you're going to give somebody a value proposition mm -hmm. where they're spending X amount less more for something better. Yeah. People are going to take it. Sure. So instead of being like, oh, why are we taking away? Let's figure out a way. Because I would much rather use the TTC in terms of the, the, the subway underground. Yeah. Streetcars on King Street, everywhere yeah. else, they drive me <laughs> insane. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would really like to use that TTC. So let's let's work together on solving the first mile, last mile problems. And what mm. I mean by that is getting to the TTC station yeah. or certain busy points. If you see these go train stations, TTC stations, the main hubs yeah. parking in the morning. Yeah, it's crazy. Everyone's just, it's crazy. Yeah. People are just parking there, yeah. right? So why can't we have those people talking to each other on some kind of platform to get there together in a carpool way? Yeah. As a first step. Sure. You know, so... Um, I think communication is key, and that is also on on could be uh, faulted on on the certain ride hailing giant called Uber's attitude mm -hmm. towards everything mm -hmm. since they started. Yeah, which has led to growth at no matter what cost. Yeah, but has also made people kind of. 
well, not people, let's say public governments or mass transit authorities, a little hesitant to work with companies that are in the same realm, imagining that everybody has the same sure. um, approach, yeah. which is very untrue. You know, um, I think we can all peacefully coexist because the market is that big. Yeah. I'm not here to be like, oh, you know, let's uh, kumbaya, my lord, and everybody <laughs> hold hands. No, it's just the market and the, the pie is so large. Yeah. What we're talking about. And um, so that that's really the, the my thoughts on that. Sort of related to that, um, you know, I, I heard about you over the holidays. Um and you, you guys, you guys had this strategy of, um, you know, offering twenty five hundred rides at, at uh, a ninety nine cents uh, per ride. Um, there's this idea of giving back to charity that that I've read about. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of this social consciousness as as a strategy for business? I. I in two parts. Firstly, I think social conscious is, has to be a foundation of every business nowadays. Mm -hmm. And not saying it, but actually doing something about it. And by doing something about it, not just giving to a charity, but it's like I've just given money to this charity and now my job is done. Mm -hmm. Actually, you know, um, look into what you can do. Yeah. Uh, and I don't I don't want to use the, the word try to make a difference because it's very cliche now. Sure. But... Um, Certain attainable or, fun or, or, or achievable goals that you can do, mm -hmm. why not? It, I mean, it's it's a win-win for everyone. Yeah, and I think I, th I think it's needed on all levels. Yeah, um, for for all our companies to do so, because God knows enough companies in history have done reverse. I think I think it's only a matter of time where a different cycle, which which is not taking away from anybody's bottom line, I think it only helps having a social conscious mm -hmm. a social consciously corporation yeah um only it, it's only something that helps your bottom line doesn't hurt it mm. I, i've met a number of entrepreneurs that have um appeared on dragon's den um and you have yes uh, appeared on dragon's den um you guys were asking for five hundred thousand at at uh, twelve point five percent um I, I think the you guys closed uh, on the show at least at, at five hundred thousand for twenty five percent and uh is it manjeet her name uh, i believe so yes yeah the, the, the one we shook hands with yeah, yes. yeah who um who also got a fifty percent or ask for a fifty percent seat at the table. Um, now, from your answer, I, I don't know whether where things have gone, but tell me about that experience and what we don't see, you know, when the show ends. Um, well, the deal didn't happen. Okay. Um, the experience was amazing. Yeah. Because we get to have conversations like this. Yeah. And I don't think the, the, these conversations will ever cease. And it wasn't a it wasn't a bucket list item, let's say. Yeah. But, kind of became one after the fact in, okay. in a funny sense where it's like yeah that actually happened um it was they called actually on uh, so february 2016 we go for an audition mm -hmm. they say cool we'll call you and give you a couple of weeks or a month's notice if we want you yeah. we don't hear anything yeah and it's so, more like did you go thinking did you apply saying It'd be great to get money. It was it was great. It was an application for this is great publicity. I already okay. had friends of friends who had been on the show and had deals, and I'd understood how the life cycle worked. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
so and it wasn't uh it wasn't that the, the, the goal wasn't i guess funding sure, sure right um so we did that and then one fine sunday in may get a call saying hey guys we loved your pitch and we'd like you to come in and it's yeah. like okay great what what day of the week when are we doing they're like how about you come here in an hour really and like okay yeah um and so then i was like okay yeah uh called my co-founder he couldn't make it he was stuck at a wedding in mississauga yeah called my friend yeah. he's like yeah let's go it yeah. was actually his idea uh to do it and so we went to the show um and this is like a live taping this is like this right was like 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 live taping yeah. walking everything's being suited booted while they explain you where to walk and you oh know you're goodness. just you're just basically being taken in to to shoot yeah because some i don't know what though that somebody had dropped out or i don't know what basically we got a call saying i'll be here in an hour yeah so when we did the pitch um there was an actual pitch rehearsed prior for the first audition yeah and we were trying to get it back or figure out what to say and as soon as the lights went on like these yeah. gazillion lights all in your face yeah and i was hungover because i was out on saturday night <laughs> before um everything your mind you were just you're literally like sh- i don't know deer in headlights kind of and these people are sitting there but all these lights and you're like Okay, let's do this. Blah, 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 yeah. Just trying to put together whatever you can hope for. Yeah. And um, you know, that it, it was an interesting, I guess, 40, 45 minutes because they cut it down to whatever it was. Oh, really? But yeah, there there was a lot more. Oh my goodness. Significant, I maybe not 45. I, I'm not quite sure, but I'm pretty sure it was there was a a quite a bit more in the yeah. whole entire taping, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so we did that and then um the hands the shaking hands on the tv and then after that they kind of give you this term sheet and then you can see that it's not really too serious uh in terms of the amount of time required to look at a deal and then later you find out how long it takes them to actually close a deal yeah um you <clears throat> you realize that it's a tv show mm. right and um and then you just uh, you know uh, it's it's never really a no but you see it's not it's not it's we never got a no yeah it it's just well we need all this and it's like well i can give you this and this amount of time and it's like well no this that the other you know okay um and does this come from the show or is this coming from manjeet's team or? uh this is coming from the dragons or manjeet's team okay uh the, the show is just the show right okay. that's all very i don't know exactly how it works yeah yeah but show is just like listen and what people have to understand it is a tv show yeah right and you can't expect people to just expect to give you money sure, based sure. on that right people have to do due diligence See and the books and yeah. all that stuff so yeah, yeah. you're you're just um you know um on the tv mm-hmm. and then you kind of go on this ride and then they show you when you taped this in May of 2016 they aired in January of 2017 oh my goodness yeah so you know i was it, you're just like oh yeah i did that when that's when everyone's like congratulations on the deal great lovely amazing yeah and you're like wow so many people just believe everything they see on tv <laughs> you know and uh so it, it was a great experience yeah um 
and I would highly recommend for everyone to try out. Really? Try it out, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It, you, I, you might as well, especially if you're going in business and the publicity you get. Yeah. And it really helps in a lot of ways as when you're raising capital, everyone's like, send me the deck, send me this, send me that. Yeah. Having a Dragon's Den video, um, if they could actually give it to you a little bit earlier rather than eight months <laughs> after you've done it. Um, as, as, as sending out when you made a deal yeah. is, is a very nice thing to have, right? I can imagine. So so you're just, um, yeah, I, all I would say is all to all budding entrepreneurs out there, mm -hmm. uh, go on it. You've, uh, you had a soft launch. You've had a, a relaunch uh, at the end of last year. Um, you've had this experience with uh, Dragon's Den um, I believe even the founding partners have changed. Um, what have you learned through this sort of couple of year ride, few years ride? Uh, things happen. Yeah. Um, it tests you as a person and your character. Mm -hmm. You learn a lot about yourself. Yeah. And you really don't grow as a person unless you're completely flung and thrown outside your comfort zone. Mm. Because being inside your comfort zone is just guaranteed, uh, you know, space for no no development as a person. Mm -hmm. So, it's been um, it's it's been a real f fun ride, mm -hmm. R Y D E, no pun. No, <laughs> you know, um, so, I, I mean, I I I don't think if if all those things weren't experienced, I wouldn't be here with you today right now. Yeah. Uh, and again learning about the levels of resilience you have and you don't really learn anything about yourself when things are going right sure um so when everything goes wrong yeah it's it's, it's refreshing to know that you're like okay i still have i'm still standing and i'm still alive and i'm still good and you know um things are progressing well nice it's going to be very exciting to see where um you know to follow the journey to continue following the journey and see where things end up with you guys yeah i think it's going to be uh very exciting year up ahead. Uh, uh, we have a few things in store. I don't want to say anything because my luck with timelines is terrible. <laughs> so I don't want. I don't want to promise or say anything that we can't deliver on. But I, yeah, if we catch up same time next year, it would be interesting to recap I'd what like has has happened. What has happened for us? And I, I, I think Toronto is a great um, city, even with its weather uh, <laughs> sometimes and i think canada as a country is ha has a lot of potential for us and and for for opportunity um in the transportation and technology spaces yeah, I, I wanted to touch on that a little bit you know you've you've been to london buenos aires um the, the middle east uh southeast asia uh and obviously here in, in north america why why toronto like why is is it what is it about this city or this country that you decided this is a place for InstaRide? Um well when we were InstaRide was incorporated in February of 2014 mm -hmm. which I kind of like to mention to some people and that's before UberX or any kind of ride sharing was in Toronto. Mm -hmm. So at that point it was seen as a fundamental need. Mm -hmm. Right. And when we launched after because delays and um, everything that can go wrong, does go wrong. Um, 
you it, the idea kind of morphs while you've got a still a base starting point you're still seeing things how how they play out mm-hmm. and for us it's also about building a business that had that that you know is a sustainable business model too you know um yes we understand capital requirements to get going but you can't be dishing out thousands or of dollars to just acquire drivers and you know there there has to be a a model there and and then and then you also build on that model for creating other solutions because once you have a network of people moving around that you're connected into moving people you don't have to be limited and not just delivery of food but different items things and being able to connect into different parts of the supply chain mm-hmm. of, of various industries mm-hmm. so and so why toronto for that i think that toronto has a very has a lot of potential for things to still happen here it's a great testing ground mm-hmm. um and you get to do stuff here that and then people if you're doing stuff things in toronto people in canada are hearing about you somewhere somehow sure right so it's a great launching pad too mm-hmm. to get involved across the country which yeah. we plan on doing yeah. um and so you just get to um create some noise here before going you know somewhere else yeah cuz creating noise somewhere else it might not you know resonate all over sure Kareem thanks for coming in thank you very much for having me Kareem